Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely and the world given back to us. This is Wade here in the podcast studio, joined by my dear friends and colleagues, the Reverend Dr. Michael Berg and the Reverend Professor Fresh from Teaching. Mm-hmm. Wrapped up class a little early. Yep. Just for us. Or yes. at least I choose to think that. I did. Uh, the Reverend Professor Jason Oakland. And uh, we today... This is a topic I came up with, and I came up with it in advance. Mm-hmm. Uh, in advance. I, I didn't just throw it at you guys. So I'm sure you guys did a lot of reading on this. Oh, yes. Uh, thank you. Um, but we had, Jason, can you turn that air off for me? I don't think yes. it's warm enough that we need to justify that in the background. No problem. I turned it on. It's my fault. I should have turned it off. Um, but we had, in the Wisconsin Synod, um, our symposium, annual symposium at our seminary, uh, Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary in lovely Mequon, Wisconsin, this uh, earlier this week, and uh, and the seminary has really lowered their standards. Um, we have now had three of the Let the Bird Fly. <laughs> Are we cast? Is that what we say cast? Sure. <laughs> Hosts. Sure. Contribute. Present at the seminary. Uh, Michael on apologetics uh, a few years ago. Jason on Luther and Freedom of Christian? No, the uh, Christian, Cap- no, Christian, Christian nobility. nobility. One of yep. the three treatises, okay. Yeah. And then I was up this time, and I covered 2,000 years of church and state. Um, but I thought the papers, maybe with the exception of mine, were well done. Uh, discussion was good. Uh, Pastor John Bordelin, you guys might be familiar with him. Friend, Friend of, the of the podcast. podcast. Yeah. The... Uh, Gave a, I thought, just a great sermon. You can get that on the seminary's YouTube or Vimeo page. I don't know the difference between those two things. And uh, overall, it was really good, but I would say it was meaty, right? There weren't a lot of papers that were just do this, don't do that. Um, There was no canon law. Uh, I think all the three papers said in dealing with the two kingdoms or church and state, there were no silver bullets a word that was used a lot was it's it's messy. Um, and a lot of good feedback um, after the presentations heard a lot of good things about the the papers. And one of the things that was interesting to to hear from people, and, and not in a negative way at all, but um, sometimes some of the things were described as a little dense, not in a bad way, but like meaty, substantive, um, maybe a little intellectual or academic or theoretical, uh, but it it brought to mind for me a topic I don't think we've ever done, and that is theology as a habitus practicus theosdotos, a practical habit or aptitude or habitude, habitude. Um, that is given by God. Um, Mike and I, I think, prior to the Jason era, did uh, talk a little bit about what is theology and what is it to be a theologian. And we've talked about everyone is a theologian in a certain sense. You can't be a Christian and not a theologian. And even the unbelievers, a theologian oh, yeah. is just, as Michael likes to say, a bad theologian. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody's a philosopher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we'll be, especially as we talk about theology as Habitus, or do you want to say habitus, Jason? I'll let you decide. I like habitus myself. Habitus. You going to say practicus then? I do, yeah. You say it your way. Habitus practicus. Theos todos? Isn't it, is it, eh, yeah, close enough. I would say good enough. I don't know for sure the, the full uh, term, but, oh, yeah, yeah. I think Kay. it's the, theos todos. All right. I'm showing Jason yeah. different places. There you go. Right. Mike's yeah. going to say practical habit. Yeah, and I, I welcome that. We're <laughs> talking especially about pastors when we talk this way. Not only pastors, but especially as our Lutheran dogmaticians talk about it, mm-hmm. um, those who are in the ministry of the Word, or they like to say the ministry of the of the New Testament. Um, Walther kind of reacts to the... 19th century, the kind of 1800s trend to uh, to 
separate theology into two parts, to bifurcate it um, into, like, real theology, like academic theology. You know, what you're going to do at the university. And then um, theology that's proclaimed. And, you know, that's like, okay, that's the stuff for the people. Um, that's the proclamation for salvation. But that's a... <coughs> That's not doing theology, like as a theologian. And Walther will react against that, and our uh, fathers in the Synodical Conference will react against that. Heineke and Pieper, if you don't know these names, that's okay. But they, they say to separate those two things is, is very, very dangerous. Ironically, though, I think sometimes we do indeed separate those two things. Um, you can have pastors who will say, well, theology is not really my thing. You go, uh oh, yeah. right? This, uh, that sounds that's a problem. It's yeah, a problem. yeah. Um, everyone has different gifts, and everyone has different uh, interests. Uh, and what they mean is system getting into systematics. Probably. That's often what they mean, I think. But when it comes to theology itself, if you don't have a pastor who's an active and good theologian, you're not going to have a very good pastor. Uh, there's no get-out-of-jail-free card when it comes to being a pastor and being in the Word and doing theology in the sense of what we mean by it is a habitus practicus, mm. a practical aptitude. I like habitude. I've seen that some places. <laughs> That'd be a T-shirt we can get made. Yeah. Habitude. It, um, we need to be doing theology and that it's given by God, wrought by God, means theology needs to be done to us, right? It's the Spirit's work on us through the Word so that we can then be uh, carers of souls. Jason, you want to say the German for that? Zalesorger. We can be a Zalesorger for others. And so what I'd like to kind of get at a little bit in today's episode um, is that There, we if we if we get nervous about academic or intellectual or abstract or what seems to be theoretical theology, uh, we're we're missing out on stuff that does play out in our ministry uh, in the parish, right? Someone could say, "Yes, I believe in the tr- Trinity. That's great. What more do I have to learn about?" studying about the Trinity, and yet the Trinity is an eminently practical teaching precisely because it's God's revelation of himself to us. And so we can talk about theology as doctrine in a secondary way, but that's one step removed from kind of the, the whole like life thing that is theology. And what we'll get to, and, and, and part of what I'm using is Franz Pieper commenting on um, Walther, which uh, Dave Jewell, who you guys have met, a friend of mine, had on his his blog. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also a an article from 1962 by Henry J. Eggold, Theology as Habitus Practicus Theostotos, a Lutheran Emphasis. But what they really mean about theology as a, a practical aptitude or habit is what Luther meant when he said uh, that the theologian is made through oratio, Oratio, prayer, meditatio, intentatio. Meditatio, meditation on the word. This isn't just meditation like on a mountaintop. Mm-hmm. Intentatio, um, holding to the word in the midst of um, temptation or struggle. And so if I will make our way uh, in a moment here to the main topic, which I'm introducing, but I'm going to begin that with a quote that I'm going to throw to you guys. In the meanwhile, um, we are part, Let the Bird Fly is part of the 1517 Podcasting Network. You can go to 1517.org, find lots of good stuff there, encourage you to do so, new podcasts, new academy courses, all of that stuff. And then, Michael, would you mind giving us our disclaimer? This show doesn't speak for our churches, our church bodies, or our employers. To be honest, much of the time, it probably doesn't speak for us. We will be thinking out loud a lot, so approach what you hear with a healthy skepticism. Because well, as a responsible resident of planet Earth, that's probably what you should generally do with almost everything. 
If you find yourself getting too worked up, tune out, look around, and realize you were just listening to a podcast. That's right, a podcast. So go live free, friends, and don't let us get in the way. brings us to our main topic which i just talked about for 10 minutes yeah that was that was, was uh, quite the quite the intro quite the transition but i want i wanted to kind of set the stage because i think people uh hear a topic like this they get nervous that this is not going to be very practical right it's going to be very cerebral intellectual mm-hmm. academic mm-hmm. and uh i'd like to begin with an, a quote citation passage from luther um, that's quoted in in the uh, in the Eggold article I mentioned, which I then there was no citation. I tracked down into the Weimar because nice work. I wanted to make that's sure we weren't throwing out Luther that isn't there. Yeah, and what it appears Luther must have said this elsewhere too. But so this is quoted in German. What I found was in Latin in the Weimar. But so I didn't get to do much more research than that because Jason was back early. Michael knocked on my door said he is ready, and I need to head down here, but that's why I was lost in thought mm. when you found me. And uh, what Luther says is, the Christian life is nicht ein geworden sein, sondern ein werden. The Christian life is not a having become, but a becoming. The Latin there, um, yam, I am, how do you want to say that? Yam, jam, yam, yam, yam sumus infieri, and Sancte has Latin holy, known in facto essay. Um, so it's not, um, the Christian life is not a having become, but a becoming. And I think we get there something, justification, sanctification. We get how the Spirit is working on us. Uh, we get the symbol. All these concepts are wrapped up in here. That in the Christian life, I have these things absolutely that God has promised me. They're as good as mine. And I am, I will be in heaven, um, and I am in his sight through faith, exactly what he says I am. And yet, in this life, I am still simul, and I am in the church militant, not the church triumphant. And so maybe I'll toss it to you guys, and you can go context of Christian life in general if you want, but I, I think this is a good one, maybe to especially just hit on ministry as well. Um, what do you guys think when you hear something that sounds existential almost well i my first uh, my first thought is off topic a little bit because uh i had an idea for an episode and that was to to contrast the aristotle's nicomachean ethics with uh christ paul and luther um and and to put it in a really succinct way and it sounds like i'll be contradicting what luther just said Nice. But I'm going to make the connection. I think I can redeem my, my thought. Is that Aristotle put um, doing before becoming. Now, becoming is a loaded word philosophically, right? But you do something and then you become something. I don't think you're contradicting. And uh, Jesus puts the becoming before the doing. You are made a good tree, and good tree produces good fruits. You are righteous, and you are right. doing righteous things. And then, and the reason I brought that up is because I was I was going off cuff at uh, la- yesterday with Christ and culture, and uh, uh, they were quiet at the end when I when I rattled off thirty minutes of this I, that I didn't <laughs> think I was going to, and I stopped and I said, "I take your silence as affirmation that I am genius." And it taught you, and not that you are bored or lost. <laughs> but anyway, uh, but the reality is that I'm Christian, which means that I'm sinner and saint, right? And so there is such a thing as Christian growth, even though it's something I look back upon, and I'm not like, I'm not on my way from being a sinner to a saint. And I think there's a lot of ramifications when it came, because we were talking about virtue ethics that day. And I want to have an episode on that. But... 
to redeem myself according to what Luther uh, is saying here is um, it, the reality of a Christian is that you are, you're the symbol, that you're a sinner saint. And uh, that um, while it's all yours, you are saint and will be forever in heaven. This is your true identity. God needs to work on you, and, and you can already think about the, the term formation here. Right. right, and I think this yeah. fits a lot with what yeah. both of us have been talking about. And so, um, it's something different than a mere academic getting the data, head data thing. Once I got it, I have it. Yeah, right. So that's why you don't read the Bible once, right? So a lot of people say, "Well, I read the Bible. I kind of know what's going on." And usually, then they have an argument against Christianity and, and their pseudo academics there, and like. No, the Bible is something you read over and over and over and over again. And there are many books that you should read over and over again. Luther's quote that's in Logia always, it's not how many books you've read, but a good book, you know, read right. over and over again. And then again. we put in a new issue again. What's that? And then we keep putting out issues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have our dead soldiers on our, our, our bookshelves to, that, yeah. that we've read that we let everybody know about. But... Um, there, so we have the formation idea. Ironic, the other thing you're, I was talking about, I was thinking about during your, your introduction um, was I, I like that you brought up the idea that in, in the 19th century there was this there was this this idea of being afraid of the book learning liberals in in Europe and, and rightfully so, right? Uh, taking theology out of we've talked about this before. It, does it preach, right? Uh, does the theology preach? If it doesn't, that's a problem. And if, if this theology you're getting... It, the same thing happened to philosophy. When philosophy became a, a, analytical, a, yeah. a professional thing, right? It became no longer uh, like what Plato and Aristotle were doing was to think about these things and, and, and find truth. It was rather, look how smart I am as I, I find my I pathway down here. It's one of the, the curses of our academic... Uh, situation in our system while it's very good that you find something that's very specific and because great things can happen when you dive into one thing but how many people only see then the whole world through their very small lens which happens in theology or specialization i'm doing ecclesiology now i'm doing eschatology now i'm doing soteriology Mm -hmm. well like the notion that you can do one and not yeah. Just be doing theology yeah. comes out of that. Yeah. And, and this is true. Of, this is true of, I would say, every discipline, right? And I was having a conversation uh, about this uh, just a couple nights ago at that very symposium that you that you talked about before. So, the, but the irony of that is the reaction. The irony to the is that the reaction to that that, that those book learning people that didn't know it was kind of an 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 anti intellectualism right that turned out to be just i just need to know these facts that's just dead orthodoxy i just yeah i just need to know these facts it still ended up being head knowledge only just a very small amount of head knowledge (laughs) right where i think there's a third way and the third way is uh, not to toot our own horn but like what we did with Genesis and previous in our, in our discussions in anthropology is you think about these things in the context of the ancient Near East. You think about these things in the context of, of our philosophical day. And it's not, it's, not, it's not to be intellectual and heady just to be intellectual and heady, but actually to, to actually apply this, to be able to preach this in a very profound way and to, and to lift people up maybe to a higher level who are lay people right and we i use the learn the term lay people in a general way i'm a lay person when it comes to the law i'm a lay person when it comes to medicine and many other things and yet i can be lifted up and be interested and and learn something very profound if i have a teacher from one of those disciplines who can make this preach to me and lift me up from a very shallow understanding of law, medicine, engineering, whatever it may be. And, and so I, I think in order to do that, in order to get that to that point where you can lift people up, 
You have to live with them. So this is your ministry connection. You have to live with them. You have to talk with them. You can't just be in your in your office, and yet you need to be in your office sometimes, yeah. right? Because uh, you need to you need to be broadened, um, and so you are formed by the constant reading of scripture. But you're also formed by the tentatio in ministry of people constantly coming to you. So, uh, speaking of that conversation a couple of nights ago. I said it's, it's it's a very good thing that almost always in the history of our little synod, which is just a small blip on the on the historical record, but almost always, when we have had our higher education and even high school, college and seminary, men who who teach theology were pastors for about a decade before at least, and there I think there was a um, unwritten rule there and unwritten understanding as we've said many times before that the parish is the greatest tutor um, and the, the, the parish what the parish does is drive you back to the scripture right here in our ivory tower and right? open the scriptures for you yeah. yeah here's what that meant yeah and in the ivory tower we can be only academic and um we can we can only look at what interests us. To be fair, this tower is more like cinder block. Yes, it's not definitely not ivory, <laughs> yeah. um, but with some drywall, yeah, some yes. drywall, yeah. the rare drywall walled. Uh, or I can say I, I I just have to teach this class, right? And now, now the truth of the matter is, we do have students come to us, and, and there's some pastoral moments, but it's nothing like the parish, right? Um, it is immensely. I mean, it's day one this thing that you studied in college and seminary is a theoretical way. Day one, it becomes practical. Right. And it's a completely different way of doing theology. And therefore, you become, your, your relationship with scripture and dogmatics and worship and prayer becomes different. And the hope is that it becomes a habit that is practical and that you grow into... I'm constantly now reading the scriptures as a true theologian in the way Martin Luther would say it and not only as an academic in an academic endeavor kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. and and I think yeah. the the orthodox when we talk about the age of orthodoxy we're talking you know after the book of Concord is written and you have this especially in the universities but this this systematizing of Lutheran theology that takes place. An, an un, probably an unfair term, dead orthodoxy, what we meant. And that's what and people attach to that of, well, they're, they're just getting all the data right. It's just head knowledge. And then in the, the, the overcorrection would be pietism. Right, which aims at the heart, yes. at the expense yes. of the head. And, and so we're, try, we're like, well, why can't you aim at the head and the heart? And, but I, I think the, the orthodox fathers um, get a bad, the dogmaticians, get a bad rap sometimes because if you if you read their dogmatics, which is not always easy, um, they, it, at the end of the day, it gets very pastoral. Yeah. Again and again, and uh, and so in the in the paper again um, that I'm using from Eggold, he quotes Kalov. Um, he says Kalov declares that whatever is treated in theology is proposed for no other purpose than that it be directed to practice, nor is anything revealed in Scripture in order that it should ultimately exist in knowledge alone. And here I think is a, a good for reminder for when maybe we're tempted, you know, oh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not that interested in that, or I don't do as well at that, or I'm not so deep on that, I, it doesn't really affect my ministry. As a reminder that it wouldn't be in Scripture um, if it were not practical, God was not in the habit of Scripture of revealing things just to reveal them to be like fun trivia or completely abstract. In fact, uh, he kind of refuses to reveal those. He gets asked for those things <laughs> all the time. <coughs> and he says no. But he does tell us things um, for a purpose then. And then if I can just skip down the page there. And I can, thought, yep, just come I, back in okay, one second. Yeah. Jason, by the way, in a reference to today's sermon, has just been leaning back in his chair eating a a bunch of red grapes. Yeah. Holding yeah. it. Um, yep. 
Mm. And I'll, I'll throw it to you, Jason, but it just, sure. he gives as the purpose of theology then here, and he's, he's summarizing Quenchtad, Kalev, Hala's others. Um, the ultimate formal end of theology is the beatific vision and enjoyment of God, which is an interesting way to put it. That would be a good episode. The ultimate now, object... what does he mean by formal? Well, he's getting, he's bringing in Aristotle here. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, these are Lutheran scholastics. So. Yeah, yeah. Um, the ultimate objective end is God, infinitely perfect and entirely good. And later on, he has this great part where he's dealing with objectives, and he say, well, some object... That the, the end of theology is the beatific vision of God, and so it's not practical. It's right, just and he goes, well, it's practical because the point is to enjoy the beatific vision of God, which is to be right in relation to God, um, and and so I think how he puts that, and and again, it is some scholasticism at play there, uh, Lutheran scholasticism, so the better kind, <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> that this is. Theology is, is, is never taking God as, as merely an object of inquiry. God isn't in and of himself the end, right? Theology is an encounter with God, and it's not an encounter with God where we go, okay, I'm studying this teaching on God here or this attribute. Theology is an encounter with God through the means of grace. And so it's when someone says, well, that's academic, intellectual, well, it depends what you mean by that. And you might think, well, there's no, you didn't give me the do's and don'ts, so there's no clear application of this. Well, you may think you don't need that right now, but, but God may be giving you that so that, that when that is time for the application, you're ready. Um, what you do in your study as a pastor isn't just for you. It's for your people and whatever may arise. Which is again what part of what they mean by a practical aptitude? All right, Jason, are you done with your grapes? Yeah, yeah, I think okay. I. Well, I can take a break at least for a bit, but uh, yeah, I think that the first part of that. His like, shirt is just purple. <laughs> yeah, from the, the whole blood of grapes idea, right? Um, the uh, yeah, um, I think the first part that he was saying there is that you know this isn't meant, and what you were kind of touching on at the end is that this isn't meant to just exist in a vacuum for its own contemplation, right? Uh, and that that it's meant to be put to use. Um, and I think that, I, I think to me, the best way that I like to express that habitus practicus is a, uh, in, you know, rather than a habit or a, or a aptitude or a habitude, whatever you want, is, you know, in some ways I think it's a skill uh, I, I think that's a, that is one way to translate that, and I think that is what I like to how I like to render it. And then it's a skill that you know has the purpose of being put into practice, right? Which I think is first first and foremost for yourself, right? As you're contemplating that, as you're as God is working on you personally as the individual, but then as you're saying, it's meant to be shared and and. Uh, and not just to you know have well let's um, ponder might what might be all the possibilities with this and this is something that I've had in having the opportunity to teach the doctrine classes this year. It's bragging. It's kind of interesting to see how you know, like oftentimes you know I'll pose the question uh, and it'll be a very academic answer that that you know the students will come back with and. You know, say okay, yeah, that's for, but okay, well, but how do how does that preach in essence, or well, what does that mean for a person in real life, right? Um, to say that this is not just to come up with the right answer, but it's to say, you know, okay, well, what is the impact of this on on a real heart, on a real life, and and those um, dogmaticians, you know, where they get a bad rap at times. Um, you know, um, Gerhardt, I, I think John Gerhardt is maybe the quintessential example of, of one of these Lutheran sy systematicians, right? You know, the uh, scholastic in the, the good sense. Um, and even when we say systematicians, we're being a little bit unfair because that term, yeah. like, develops out of, like, 
Yeah. The higher critical, like uh, what happens in German universe, like they yeah. wouldn't even have thought of what they were doing in that way. But yeah. Right. And, and some of it's, some of it they've inherited and others is kind of looked back. Right. So yeah. Um, and, but throughout his Lotzi, you know, you'll find these, which is the big doctrine text. You'll find these sections on the use of the doctrine, right. right? And then in addition to that, you know, it's like he writes this huge um, doctrine set, but then he he writes some phenomenal devotional material uh, that goes alongside of it. I, you heard know. One, I heard there's a good one that was translated by someone called The Sacred Meditation. I've heard that too, yes. Um, I don't know where that came from exactly, but... Uh, I just threw out my... I had it in a binder... Yeah, <laughs> I just threw it out because I had the <laughs> copy of the book. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I so, printed it out and proofread it. And, yep, I know, remember that. Don't remember if I actually got around to giving you the edits, but anyway, go yeah. ahead. And that's just one example, right? <laughs> the sacred meditations. There are a bunch of there. There are a, a number of other good pieces too. So, so like you say, kind of unfair. But I think those guys were, on the one hand, able to deal with this in a very intellectual way and and to comprehend the theoreticals but also had very much a mind to say okay now what does that mean or what does this look like in real life impacting real people i think sometimes the criticism uh that we've been sort of uh criticizing right now that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i was gonna say i had a bunch of words that were sort of not appropriate anyway i mean not swear words but anyway. <laughs> That we were bashing. That's too harsh, but... Um, Do I need to get the beep from the cursing episode no, ready? No. <laughs> By the way, I've heard quite a few people say that initial beep scared them while they were driving. Uh-oh. We almost, like, caused accidents. Uh-oh. I would like to apologize. <laughs> I was only beeping in the in the hope of protecting <laughs> people from... The sensitive ears. ears. Yeah, yes. from fake vulgarity. Fake vulgarity. Anyway. Um... I do believe that some of the the criticisms that we have been criticizing here have to do with law and gospel, right? So, drives me nuts, Wade. Drives me nuts. I was waiting for you to do a beep there. Drives me nuts. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't got to it yet. I was looking for it. But. <laughs> drives me nuts when somebody says, I know about the gospel, now tell me how to live. And and to your point, the, the gospel is the end. It's not a stepping stone to something else. Right? Now, here and, I would like to play from, you ever seen Nacho Libre? Oh, one of the best and movies. And he says, people don't think I know a, a buttload about the gospel, but I do. I would I would play that clip now, but you have me terrified of copyright That's after right. you made me remove 40 seconds. Well, you guilt. <laughs> you didn't even guilt. You, I just mentioned it. You spooked me. You made me scared. Yeah. We should have a, like a Nacho Libre uh, watch party. Uh, that is a, I mean, it's a phenomenal movie. And mm. my favorite part is like that the beginning when, when we're told that he is the son of a yeah. <laughs> Eastern <laughs> Lutheran missionary. Yeah. <laughs> Scandinavian Lutheran missionary. <laughs> anyway. Um, so what they really mean was give me, give me something that's practical is give me some law. Mm. Some law, not like some harsh law, not real law, Give me the law I can do. Oh, I was late with the beat, but I got it. <laughs> give, me the, give me the law that I can accomplish, right? <laughs> and so I wonder if it's not really so much like, don't give me that heady stuff that's not practical. Um, I, I think they would very much like something that was could be very robust and, and deep as long as it was practical in the law sense from their point of view. Well, and I think if you consider... Like, who, knows, who doesn't love a complicated new diet or a complicated right. new uh, way to do whatever, right? Uh, uh, then you, you can engross yourself in the law and doing these things. I think that's what they're really after often. And to get at what Jason hit on with Gerhardt, his devotional works, but also his uh, dogmatic or whatever we want to call it works. Uh, there's... Uh, in the article, I think a helpful line towards the end. In addition, the dogmaticians urge us to give serious concern to the various theological disciplines because study and assiduous labor are necessary 
to give us the habitus of the theologian. And that's when he quotes Luther with, we are not having been, but becoming. But this is not, he has a section in there where he talks about the dogmaticians warning against um, enthusiasm, which is, you know, that somehow um, detached from the means of grace. He notes before that, the theological practical aptitude of the soul divinely given is acquired through the use of the divinely prescribed means, the word and the sacraments. All who aspire to the title of theologian have good cause to apply themselves diligently to the means of grace. And I think something that can be frustrating to people in Lutheranism at different ages and different places um, and something I sometimes find lacking in it, and maybe coming from the background I do, and this is part of my interest in looking at formation stuff, which which I know you've been doing more now too, Michael, and I don't know, you might be when you're not eating grapes, Jason. I don't know if that's... You no, know, it's hard to find time. I, I've been thinking about it. I, I'm not really doing it. Right. I'm well, thinking, thinking about it. Is that we sometimes forget... Uh, the Lutheranism is not without a, a piety, right? Um, what the dogmaticians are talking about here is a a piety. What is it? It's a it's a, a piety of, of being in the Word, of receiving the means of grace. We look at it and we go, "Oh, you see, there's a doing." You're saying, "Here's what we have to do," but what that what that doing is is merely being worked upon, right? Being in the Word, the dogmaticians are big on explaining. That's the Spirit now working on you. And you're not going to understand the Word properly without the Spirit. Even when the unbeliever gets something right in Scripture, that's a gift of the Spirit. It's just not the Spirit indwelling them in faith. And so um, we, the idea of formation, of, of the becoming, uh, this, is not a, this is not my salvation. I am saved. This is not my, my justification. But I, I, I can grow in my, my knowledge and my in enjoyment and um, my uh, awareness of all that God is and does um, for me and for others. And uh, that might be work sometimes. I, I totally know. We're, we're blessed here that there's an expectation that we be in our office studying. It's kind of part of the gig. I was going to make a joke about points. Yeah, I was, was going to say, you get, you get unit block yeah. points for yeah. that. Yeah. Gold stars yeah. for it. Yep. Actually, you don't. Do yeah. um, but uh, we're not supposed to say that, so <laughs> I'd just like to apologize. <laughs> but but there are times where the congregation maybe doesn't expect the pastor to be in the office much studying, right? That's not, I mean, there's a value in not just calling it pastor's office, but pastor's study maybe in, in that. Um, or the pastor thinks too many things are pulling them the other way. And then just in what they're, in what they're studying, um, there is, it's, it's great when someone loves Jesus and loves to tell them about Jesus and has like the basic pat answers that hopefully will satisfy a fair amount of people. Um, but it, what did you call it? Dead soldiers on the bookshelf? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <coughs> there is a, a staleness that will develop from that. And there's a ceiling then that is set that impacts not just the individual preacher, who falls into that lull, which all of us do at some point, but people. And I would say um, that most of us have found, if we've had a particularly like creative or intellectually sim stimulated streak, we got into working on a, a conference paper, or we, um, we were reading some good books, we just really got into it, or we had some time to really explore some stuff, our people notice that. It shows in ministry. And I would say, too, in those really kind of frightening moments where ministry gets super real and people have, like, questions that don't 
take pat answers. Um, and there's maybe the best answer is a, a studied silence. Um, but that's when that time, that piety of being in the word, of, of feasting on the means of grace with prayer, right? We just did an episode on that. Mm-hmm. Um, then is able, and with meditation, will will pay off. Um, sometimes the, the least valuable thing someone can do for you is just give you the do's and don'ts to give you canon law. Um, you know, this is kind of going through the system, right? I think sometimes people got the notion, well, PT is the easy classes, but they're the classes that will be most helpful for the parish. And the professors never said that, right? to be fair to the professors. But really, I, I mean, that's it's not necessarily the case. No. Um, PT is where everything comes together. Applied theology is where everything comes together. And I don't, we haven't thrown a lot of applied theology courses at you yet, Jason. No, I haven't had any, actually. But I would say for us, Mike, those are probably harder to teach. Even though they are yeah. supposed to be the much more yeah. practical. In fact, I probably have students reading things that are more, quote-unquote, intellectual mm-hmm. in order for us to get very practical than in some of my other courses. Which is when you have a biblical, it's it's you know, it's so easy, especially if it's a Old Testament story base. It's so easy to make the connections to life. It's, it's na- Let's say it's more natural. Yeah, I think some of that too is that, um, you know, if the, if you're content to ha- stand with those pat answers or whatever, that, that there's going to be an inherent shallowness with that, right? Uh, and the scriptures, of course, are anything but shallow. I mean, they're there are there are shallower places and simple simple safe harbors, but they are far from shallow, right? And there's a whole lot more to explore. Um, and that time in study uh, brings with it a confidence as well, right? That that um, when those tough questions come, and again, not that not that you'll have the answer in every case, right? But when those tough questions come, and they will come, um, you have uh, an answer more than just, um, well, I think Jesus will, it's right. Jesus, you know, which, hey, that's a great place to start. Or maybe you have an answer that's a good explanation of why there's not a clear answer. That too, yes, yeah. that too. Where you have to say in humility, we don't know, but you can you can thus unpack. Yeah, and and I think... That does that is a a great um, teacher of humility along the way too, right? That the more the more you are able to study, um, the more that teaches you humility because you know that my goodness, there's so much here that how how could how could I ever how could I ever grasp it all? And the questions that could come are, you know. Um, infinite almost i can never be prepared for every one um but that's part of that um the the practical nature of that right i mean that that being taught humility is a is an important an important um what virtue for the for the theologian for the preacher for the christian yeah and um maybe uh connected um, with that uh, I, I don't want to be sounding overly overly negative um, but the uh, the the Christian experience right uh, is a great teacher but we're only able to interpret and understand, and find value in that experience um, in the light of the word, which reveals it to us. And so I think it's interesting that two of probably the most practical theologians in the history of the church were probably two of the most academic and brilliant, namely St. Paul, who had studied at the Harvard of his day, so Mm -hmm. to speak, in his rabbinical Mm -hmm. training, 
and Luther. Um, and neither of them backed, backed away from doing really meaty, substantive theology. I mean, even St. Peter says, Paul says some things that are hard to, yeah. hard to understand. Yep. But he doesn't say they're not practical. Peter doesn't say, I'm just a fisherman, you know. Yep. I'm the Jesus loves you guy. Yep. Uh, and, and, and Luther, right, he, he can have these controversies that break out, and all of a sudden, like, he is showing his learning. Like the Holy Communion stuff, you're like, man, he's doing philosophy. Like, what is going on here? But then he writes the small catechism. And, or he, he breaks down in his treatises why this matters. And there's something to that. Sometimes we're not really equipped to give the best simple answers until we've had to wrestle with something um, that doesn't in, in the moment seem entirely concrete. And, and so um, it's just like what's one of the most comforting books of the New Testament? Well, the, the letter to the Hebrews. But that's also one of the most, mm-hmm. um, I don't know what you want to call it, cerebral yeah, uh, letters that you will find as well. Well, the language is one of the most difficult for sure, right? I mean, we're, we're not writing elementary level um, uh, prose here. Yeah. And so maybe the the, dan- the danger, the middle road is is it, it can get easy to hide in your office, and just learn all the data. It can get easy to make theology just an academic venture, um, and you're one of the guys. You're the you know, you're one of the smart guys, and it can get easy to kind of hide from your office or just purely make it an office and not a study. Um, and you're one of the you know, the people guys. All of us, regarding our whether we're introvert or extrovert, or we got A's or C's, whatever, um, are called to, to grow in these things. And sometimes, the the guy who's the C guy gets the best insights by doing some of this work because he's he's having to explain it to himself. This is this is me whenever I'm outside my field. Um, there's things I have to really work at to understand what's going on there, but then you get to where you can break it down. But, but the end goal, right, the temptation is to make it not purely um, intellectual, but intellectual, and to make it not purely um, platitudinal or to just useful, because I think in English practical means like convenient. That convenient and a direct application to the hearing. Um. Yeah, so it uh, Michael's got to go, so we're losing a voice. But I, I do think just I I was so happy I will say with the with the other two papers at symposium that they really took on concepts that weren't just obvious and easy, um, but tried to then uh, give them to us in a way that we could then wrestle with them to be able to give something to our people, and there's a real value in that. I think. Um, that's something the church is becoming more and more aware of a need for in our society where, you know, Christianity is just, um, it's in the marketplace of ideas now. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have kind of the cultural supremacy it used to have. And so we got to be ready um, to for that. And that's not just learning fancy words or learning fancy cop, uh, concepts. That is... Um, spiritual discipline that's rooted in being in the means of grace, being in the word, and doing theology, not just for myself, but for my neighbor, Um, not just intellectually, but with the the sure and certain knowledge that the Spirit is at work on me, for me, and ultimately through me in that. And so, um, yeah, I'll let you close it out, Jason. I don't know if I made much sense today, but... No, I think... I, I, this is, this is a topic that I have, um, enjoyed, uh, thinking about and, and talking about not just today, but it's been something that's been on my mind for a while. Um, and, uh, this is one where, uh, we actually just were talking about this thing as we're wrapping up prolegomena, the first unit in the doctrine course this, this week and kind of, we're getting to talk about some of these things and, 
So I was really excited when, when you had suggested this as a topic too, because um, I do think it's a very important thing to, to think about um, and that, that to recognize the, the balance um, that comes along with that, right? The, the, the digging into all the scriptures have to offer while at the same time uh, having that outward focus of um, how is this going to be put to use and, and of service to, to others that I come into contact with. And, and honestly, um, you know, applying it first to myself as I uh, do so. And right? that's not just a ministry thing. We focused right. on ministry today, but that's because the symposium was full of ministers of the gospel. Yep. But this is very vocational too. Yes, very much so. And um, so, yeah, I'm. I was really glad uh, glad that uh, we got a chance to talk about this. And I think there's probably you know room that we could explore a few other areas here too. But uh, yeah, this is good. Are we uh, wrapping up? Wrapping up? Yeah, you know, we should bring it all the way home. Or um, well, I'm I'm guessing you want to get back to those grapes. Yeah, right, pretty, exactly. They look pretty they, red and juicy. Yep. Ex- yes, very much. You, you got another bunch of them from somewhere. I don't even oh, know. Oh, yeah. They, it's it's like, a like a glob of them. It's a non Like a glob of grapes. Yep, a nonstop supply, glob after glob. Jeez. <laughs> All right, well, hopefully you've gotten something out of the topic. I don't know if I distilled as well as I wanted to, what I wanted to get after today, but I think we made a good effort, mm-hmm. and I think you guys said good things. No, I think, um, I think, it, was, I think it was good. I, this was... Uh, enjoyable conversation, I think. So. I appreciate the reassurance. If anybody wants to look up, um, it is on Google, freely accessible from um, Concordia Theological Monthly, 1962, um, volume 33. Uh, Theology is Habitus Practicus Theos Dodos, a Lutheran Emphasis by Henry Eggold. Um, that's the article I was referencing. If you want to check it out, if I remember, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but that's a big. If I remember, in the meanwhile, <laughs> let the bird fly. I don't get why you don't just pick one grape off and eat it. Well, you just dangle the, the yep. whole bunch yep. and like bite them off once at a time. It's you know just kind of living the luxury, you know. Seems almost gluttonous. Almost.